0: Sketch twenty three of Zora Boys at Home and Abroad or How to Succeed This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zora Boys at Home and Abroad or How to Succeed by William Alexander McKay. Sketch 23. Dr. A. E. Matheson. A Zora boy that is still fondly remembered by many old associates is dr. A E. Matheson of concordia kansas u s He was born on lot twenty four eighth line, West Zora, in eighteen fifty nine This was a distance of about eight miles from the Embro Church, which, along with his parents, he attended. Here is his early church-going experience. Quote, we boys, after we reached the age of seven or eight years, were required to accompany our parents to church on Sunday, walking a distance of seven or eight miles there, and the same distance returning home. Sometimes we fell behind our parents a few hundred yards, and then occasionally we were tempted to brack the Sabbath by picking up beech nuts or berries, or worse still, chasing the woodpecker, chipmunk, or red squirrel but for this backsliding we were quickly brought to time, and remembered of our degeneracy, and who far behind our ancestors we were in thought and word and deed. Still, the long journey to and from the kirk was not such a terror to us as being required after reaching home to give the Haids of the sermon. This was the sword of Damocles over us, for, oh, the heeds were sometimes as confusing as in the case of Ian McLaren's preacher, and the sermon was vera lang, and contained much that we could na carry hame and muckle mare that we could na carry oot. However, the long journey developed muscle, and the long sermon with the many heeds developed memory, and the whole gave us a keen sense of the fact that life was real and earnest." Dr. Matheson received his primary education in the little schoolhouse on the eighth line, 22nd lot. He was physically a lightweight, but wiry and vivacious, and was usually the leader in all games and combats. On one occasion, after receiving the due reward of his misdeeds, he, with two or three others, formed a plot to thrash the teacher just as the school would be dismissed that day. But— Fortunately for us, he writes, a visitor came to the school that afternoon and spoiled our plot. In 1875 he left Zora and went to Goderich, where he attended school, providing himself with board and clothes by his earnings after school hours. From Goderich he went to Detroit, where he found employment with Dr. Cleland. He writes, quote, At night I attended the business college and learned telegraphy, I soon held a good position as a telegraph operator and station agent. End quote. At this time, there were good openings for young men in Kansas, and young Matheson took Horace Greeley's advice and went west. Here he attended a veterinary college and in due time graduated as a V.S., which honorable calling he has pursued ever since, and in which he has greatly prospered. Decision, self-denial, and self-control are the most striking features in the character of the son of Zora. He is also endowed with a kind, sympathetic disposition, which soon wins confidence. He has always been an active church worker, and in this way his acquaintances and companions were men and women who were always ready to help him in life's conflicts. The young man who would really succeed in life, he writes, must seek good company, cultivate self-control, and practice self-denial. For bear in mind success means not wealth but character, not rank but usefulness." Quote. Dr. Matheson is the son of William Matheson, one of the earliest of the Zora pioneers, who, although now in the eighties, enjoys good health and delights to relate reminiscences of early days. To him I owe the following incidents— which will be read with interest by lovers of old folklore. Near Embro lived a highlander whom we shall designate as Mac, the first part of his name. Better off than most of his countrymen, Mac brought with him from the old country about two hundred dollars in gold sovereigns. In those primitive times a sovereign went a long way in Zora, and many a poor man and destitute widow received help from Mac's little bag of gold no interest was ever charged, simply a verbal request, when she get the money she pay me. Mac's debtors got to be quite numerous, and soon it got to be rumoured that Mac had some uncanny way of making sovereigns. This report coming to his ears, he enjoyed it, and he made up his mind to encourage it. So one day a neighbour came for a loan. She no haven't knew, but if she pee come after dinner she will be gettin what she wants. So after dinner Mac put a pot of water on the fire, then bringing out his little bag of gold he put it into the pot when he saw his neighbor coming. Taking it out of the boiling water he told his neighbor, pe have it when the money get cold. Nothing more was wanted to convince the neighbor that all was not right, and shocked beyond expression he quickly rose from his chair and left the house saying it's the devil's money she no have it na na she be poor but honest on another occasion a neighbor came to mac for a loan the following dialogue ensued neighbor mac i have come to borrow a little money as one of my oxen is dead and i must get another mac and what much she pe wanting to paro? Neighbor, I would require four sovereigns. Mac, and that much she'll pe gettin', and she'll pay it pack when she pe able. Neighbor, thank you, and now will you get me a pen and ink and a bit of paper? Mac, for what will she pe want a pet of paper? Neighbor, I want to give you a note for the money. Mac, "'Nah, nah!' putting the money back into his wallet. "'If she'll no trust her nane sell to pay wit oot a pet of paper, "'I'll na trust her. She'll get na money from me.' Nor did he. Mr. Matheson has vivid recollections of the scene of 37 in Oxford. Only one of these can I here give. He says, quote, "'On the old stage road about three miles from Ingersoll, there lived on his farm a man by the name of Carn. He was strongly suspected of being in collusion with Mackenzie's rebels. So he was pursued by McNabb's soldiers, and his house surrounded. Escape was impossible. Carn took to his bed and feigned sickness. The soldiers entered the house and were about to remove him to Woodstock jail, but the wife was equal to the occasion. She cried, she sobbed, and loudly assured them that her husband would be dead before they reached woodstock with him and warned them that they would suffer the consequences the soldiers were intimidated a doctor was sent for one of the neighbors went to meet the doctor and let him into the secret the doctor came looked at the man examined him closely and ordered him not to be moved or he might die at any moment the doctor came every day to see him and reported him as steadily getting weaker. Some neighbors sat up all night taking care of him. There were ten men designated to guard his house, five by day and five by night. One guarded his bedroom door, two the outside door, and one at each of the two windows in the house. But he escaped. How? There was a woman in it. His wife got up every morning, put a shawl over her shoulders, and an old hood over her head then with a pail in each hand went down the road quite a piece, to where there was a spring of water. After doing this for several days, one morning the old man got up, put the shawl over his shoulders, and the hood over his head, took a pail in each hand, passed the inside and outside guards, went for water, and—well, he was next heard of in the state of New York. Quote. Old Mr. Matheson distinctly remembers the famine of forty-one, He says, Flour was very scarce. I got a barrel from the States and paid fifteen dollars for it. When he opened it, he found the flour had got wet and was all in one solid cake. With the axe, he says, we cut it up into lumps, then with a mallet we pounded it into flour again, and sour as it was, we were glad to have it. Many that spring lived on leeks, molasses, sugar, and potatoes. End of Sketch 23